Thanks, man. I wanted to start off tonight with a story. We pray with our kids every night, and I typically do it. And one of the things that we always pray about is sharing Jesus with other people. And lately, the kids have been asking me more questions about that. How do we, what do we do? How do we do that? When is it appropriate to do that? This is, hopefully, this will build your faith a little bit. So, um, a couple Friday nights ago, the twins' grandparents took them to Jump Zone or Top Flight or one of those trampoline places. We went to one in Gatlinburg, and they loved it. So, Grandma and Grandpa took them couple of Friday nights ago, and uh, here we are. On the left is Laurel. You can see the back of her head, and then Tucker's on the right. You can see the back of his head, and we have two poor little kids here that apparently have been herded into the corner of this ball pit here. This is, you know, if you've ever heard of the principle of two-by-two, this is that in application right here. And uh, John shoots us a text and he says, well, apparently the kids have cornered two fearful children and are sharing the gospel with them here in the corner. <laughs> I look very scared. I, I hope that that's okay. Well, tonight we want to talk about how the church has an awesome responsibility. You can take that down. How the church has an awesome responsibility to invite the world to come to Jesus for salvation. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into the scripture. Jesus, uh, we want to meet with you tonight. We just want to come, and we want to be with you. We want you to reveal your heart to us. Uh, we love knowing you. We, th we are thankful that that's possible by what you did on the cross, and we are, are like children, and we come to you seeking um, your direction and guidance in our lives, and God, we know that you have placed your church in the earth uh, to bring you glory and to bring peace to earth, and so um, we are your church, and we ask that you would come and you'd build us up uh, to do that work in the earth. In Jesus' name. Oh. And Lord, we want to ask that you would uh, bless Bruce's hand that got injured today. In Jesus' name, amen. The kids, uh, Bruce and Asa, asked me to pray for Bruce tonight. And I told him I would, so put that in there. All right, so tonight we want to talk about this. The church has been given a mission of declaring to the world, come to Jesus. We had a men's meeting last week, and I, and I taught, and essentially this is going to be me retelling the, the teaching we did at the men's meeting last Saturday morning. But I don't know wives of the men or, you know, friends of the men that were there. My teaching kind of sparked a debate. Uh, it got a, a little testy after my teaching. Hmm. So, so, so tonight, if you're one of those guys, I want to let you know this. I've tweaked the teaching just a little bit. And I think you'll find in here maybe an answer to some of the questions some of the debate that we were talking about, hopefully. Uh, but for the rest of you, I'm not going to tell you what that was. You're just going to enjoy this like it is what it is. Um, and if you're new, uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, I welcome you. 
Two things that I need to tell you before we jump into the teaching. Our church has just gone through a study of the book of Revelations. Uh, And then second, uh, every year we do a fast as a church. And one of the major themes that came out of our fast together, so we seek the Lord together, we fast, uh, and, and, and we see if the God has any, uh, anything to, sh- to speak, to encourage his church with. And one of the themes that came out of that was that our church in particular uh, was being called to return to our first love. Okay, so I just so you know kind of where we're coming um, from, uh, I think that'll be helpful for tonight. Uh, and in fact, the, the idea for the teaching tonight comes from the book of Revelations. Actually, the last chapter in the book of Revelations, chapter 22. So what I wanted to do to start us off tonight is give everyone a little refresher on the book of Revelations. As we worked our way through the book of Revelations, there were two major kind of big picture themes that stuck out to me as we were going through. Number one is Jesus is awesome. It's not real descriptive, but I'll unpack that a little bit. And then two, we, as the people of God, are in the middle of a battle. There is a battle, there is a spiritual battle going on right now in the earth. Okay? So, uh, so number one, Jesus is awesome. In John's visions, okay, right, the book of Revelations is, is, is about some visions that John had And in those visions, we get a powerful, unique revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You are probably most familiar with Jesus via or through the Gospels. And what he did, we hear the story about Jesus when he, Son of God, became man, came into the earth, walked with men, and then laid his life down on the cross and died and was resurrected. Okay, We all know Jesus through that story. But we also know that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. What that means is that Jesus has always been. He was there at the beginning, and he's there at the end, and he's beyond the end. In his power, in his glory, in his holiness is unmatched by anything that you've ever experienced in your life. And there's a spiritual reality to that. And so, and so the book of Revelations, it comes after the Gospels, but it's kind of like an unveiling. It's kind of like going behind the curtains and, and allowing the people of God to have a revelation of who Jesus is in the spiritual realms. And it's much deeper and greater and powerful than just what we see him do in the earth. What we see him do in earth, the earth is a shadow of a, or a revelation of who he has been and will be forever. We get a lot of pictures of that. I'm going to read you one. This is from Revelations. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. This is Jesus. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden girdle around his breast. And his head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth issued a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell as though dead. We learn all these cool things about Jesus in the book of Revelations. We learn that he is going to be victorious over every enemy 
of the kingdom of God. We also learn that he is going to judge the world. In fact, Jesus is going to set everything right that had been wronged. Every wrong that is ever committed, Jesus is going to come. He's going to judge it, and he's going to make everything right. We also learn that he is going to take those that love him and believe in him. He's going to take them to a new creation, and those people are going to live in the presence and relationship with Jesus in this new creation forever. We also learn that in that new creation, Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. You also get this sense that Jesus is the object of adoration and worship and praise of all creation. In fact, there are multiple scenes in the book of Revelations where there are people in the presence of God, just like what I read to you before, that all of creation, when it comes into the presence of Jesus Christ, it can do nothing but fall to their knees and worship him. And the refrain that we hear over and over is, holy, holy, holy. That's where we're going, to be with this Son of God. In addition to this, we also get this story that kind of unravels in the book of Revelations of this great battle that's going on between Satan and, and the spiritual forces that align with him, and in fact, the spiritual forces that are in the earth, this world order that is opposed to God. You have them in one side, and then on the other side, you have God and his Son and the Holy Spirit and the people that are following him, and they are clashing. Uh, and there is this very real battle that's going on in the earth. We really see it in the shape of these dragons and these beasts, right, coming against the people and the kingdom of God in this book. Um, one of the points that I think is really important that I hope you got as we went through the book of Revelations is that this battle that's going on, you know, uh, a lot of people use Revelations as a predictive tool to see what's going to happen in the future, and I think there's part of that there. But one of the things that we learned is that this battle between God and Satan has been going on before we were here. It's going on right now, and it's going to be going on after we are here, unless Jesus returns. But the point is, there is a battle with very real, eternal consequences going on right now, and you are in the middle of it. So this is where, this gets us up to speed, I think, and this is where I want to start from tonight and I want to just ask the question, where do we fit? How do we fit into this apocalyptic story and this picture that has been given to us in the book of Revelations? On one hand, we know that we have this awesome king, Jesus, whose glory is above everything and he is victorious. And on the other hand, we know that we are in the middle of a very real battle where the enemy is coming against the church. And here we are. Well, in the book of Revelations, chapter 22, I believe that we can find an application point directed at the church on who we are to be in this age. So, if you will, you can turn your Bibles to Revelations 22, verses 16 and 17. And this is our text, or this is the section of Scripture that I want to focus on tonight. In 16 it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about the th these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So first thing I want to point out here is that it says 
I've sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. So the revelation that we receive in this book is for the churches. Most likely it's for the seven churches that were listed in chapters 2 and 3, but by extension it is also applicable to us as the church here in this time. Okay, So this revelation that we have in the book of Revelations was written to equip and direct the church so that we can be who we're called to be here and now. And now let's look at 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And, the one, and let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That's our verse for tonight. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. So, in the midst of this battle, with a revelation of who Jesus Christ truly is, the Spirit and the Bride are going to and are supposed to say, come. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. First, the Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Sorry, who is the Spirit? The Spirit here is the Holy Spirit. We know from the very words of Jesus, that after he ascends, he was going to send his Holy Spirit to be with, to fill his church, so that the church could be who they're called to be. The bride. Who is the bride? Well, we also know from Ephesians 5, that famous section of Scripture, and a lot of Jesus' parables about the bridegroom and the bride, we know that the bride is the church. The bride is the church. So here we have the Holy Spirit and the church. We know that Jesus as the bridegroom is going to come back for his bride, right? The church. And they will live together in perfect loving relationship forever. So in the midst of this battle, the Holy Spirit and the church are supposed to be saying, come. Now here's the interesting part. We're supposed to say come, but who are we supposed to say come to? It's kind of undefined in the scripture. Look at it one more time. The spirit and the bride say come. I think we can get a little help from the context, okay? So that's one of the things you always do when you're looking at scripture is let's look at the context to see what's being said so we can understand what this particular verse is telling us. And if you zoom into this section of Revelations, okay, chapter 22, and you're really looking at verses 6 to 21, it's really telling us the reality that Jesus is going to return to earth for his people. He is coming back. We know this because in verse 7 it says, Jesus says, I am coming soon. And then in verse 20, he again says, surely I am coming soon. And at the very end, the author, John, says, uh, Sorry, amen, come Lord Jesus. So given the context of this whole chapter, one of the things that we could could understand this to mean is that the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the church are supposed to be saying, come Jesus, come back for us, Jesus. We want you to come back for us because we love you and we miss you. We want to be with you. However, On the other hand, the immediate context of this verse in 17, if you look towards the end, 
it says, And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who is thirsty come. So if we're saying come and the one who is thirsty is going to come, Jesus is not thirsty, so it can't be Jesus. He's not thirsty. He's the one that provides the water. So it could alternatively mean when the Spirit and the church say come, we're talking to the world. And we're saying everyone who is thirsty, which is everyone, everyone who's thirsty for spiritual life, come to Jesus. Which one is it? I want to do a vote, okay? There's no, well, there's no wrong answer. Let's do a vote, just by a show of hands. Who thinks the come is the church saying come to Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay. Who thinks the come is to the world around? Well, 50-50. I like that. This is not a trick question, because here, let's do this. Let's get rid of the dilemma. We're going to eliminate the dilemma. Can it be both? Can it be both? Can the church simultaneously be saying, crying out, Lord Jesus, come be with us. We want to marry you. And at the same time, saying to the world, nations, peoples, neighbor, co-worker, you can come to Jesus and he has waters that are free so that you can receive eternal life. That's what I think it is. Here's a way to help you think about this maybe that will make that clear. Back in Revelations chapter 19, verse 9, we see something. We see that there is going to be a marriage feast. There's going to be this huge feast with a big table. And it's a marriage feast between Jesus, the bride, groom, and the church, the bride. And there's a bride there who's the church, right? And it says, blessed is the one who gets invited to the feast. Maybe this is a good way to think about this image is that, that we are the bride and we're looking forward to that day when we have that feast with Jesus and he has come back and there are many, many people at the table with us. And so that cry in the bride's heart is, Jesus, come back. We want to have this feast with you. We want to be married to you. And world, we want you to be there for this feast. Both simultaneous at the same time. Our cry is going up, reaching up into the heavens. Come, and it is going north and south and east and west over all of the earth, saying, people of the world, come receive Jesus. Amen? Are you okay with that? All right, good. Now, isn't it awesome? Let's, let's point this out. Isn't it awesome that the Holy Spirit is saying, come with the church? The Holy Spirit, right, is, is in the midst of the church, inspiring and directing our hearts to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit is also active in the world, calling people, broken people, needy people, come to Jesus. Come and receive water from Jesus I know there's a lot of people in our church, and I've talked to you, and you are excited about experiencing the power and the activity of the Holy Spirit. Well, here's a thought. 
if the Holy Spirit is out drawing people into the church, meeting them where they are in their places of need and saying, come to them, if you want to experience the power and the activity of the Holy Spirit, you need to go out and be with the Holy Spirit saying, come to the world. Luke 14, 23 says this, And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. This is where I want to suggest the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is in the highways and the hedges. And we as the people of God need to be there with the Holy Spirit in his activity, in his power. Seeing miracles happen so that the lost can come in to know that amazing water that Jesus has for them. Um, let's take a second to deal with um, our, our cry, the cry of come to Jesus. Uh, I think my priority tonight is on the come to the world, but I just want to go over this, this thought of a church crying come to Jesus. In 2 Peter 3.12 we're told that as, a, as the people of God, we are to anticipate and hasten the coming of Jesus. In another translation, it says, looking forward to that day and hurrying it along. This cry of, come Lord Jesus, is really, it's about our hearts not being attached to anything in this world over and above our relationship with him. You know, in Peter there, it also says that when Jesus returns, that these heavens and this earth is going to be burnt up. So the reality is that when Jesus returns, we're leaving everything here behind. It's gone forever. And we are with him in perfect relationship with him. This, this cry of the church of Jesus come, it's a reflection of our hearts. And there should be this consistent, genuine cry in our hearts that Jesus, there's nothing in this world that we desire more. There's nothing that is elevated above you. We want you to come back, and there's nothing us holding us here. We're ready for the day for you to come back and this all to be gone, and us just to be with you. This is essential for the church to be who it needs to be. We need to have that cry of come Jesus. Do you have that cry? Come Jesus, take me out of this place to be with you. It's what I desire more than anything else. With that in mind though, let's focus tonight on this cry of come. That's focused on the world. You know, as we're hastening the day of Jesus' return, we've been given the mission of saying come to Jesus world. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. In the book of Ephesians, it talks a lot about the church and the nature of the church. And, and we, all, we read in the book of Ephesians, it says that the, the manifold wisdom of God is found in the church. The manifold wisdom of God is found in the church. And in the church, or the fellowship of believers, the relationships that are made up in this room, Our job is to communicate to the world the, the wisdom of God, which is deep and multifaceted. We believe that the church 
is to bring the kingdom of God in its fullness into the earth. There's a lot that goes into that. As the church, we have a great breadth of work that we do in the earth. We care for the sick, we educate, we work, we have jobs, we build cities, we raise children, we create art, we develop theology, we worship, we grow gardens, we promote justice, and we disciple others into relationship with Jesus. And within that work, each one of you has responsibilities to see those things happen. You have a family, you have a job, you have an education you're pursuing, you're developing ways of serving those around you, you're part of your city, you have civic responsibilities in your city. All these are important tasks that God has called the church to pursue in the earth. But tonight is about this thing. Tonight is about the primary responsibility of the church. The primary role of the church in the earth is that we are supposed to declare, come to all the nations of the world. So as a member of this church, you are called to declare to the world that Jesus is the source of spiritual life. And you are called to invite the world to come and receive of Jesus. And the sum total of our relationships together, the sum total of our lives together, the way that we live our lives with one another in this church, that very life should be declaring to the world, come to Jesus. This is a significant message, and this is why, I mean, it's pretty basic. You've heard this before, but I think it's a significant, important message for us because over time, the church, I believe, has a tendency to drift away from this high calling of declaring come to the world. One, saying come is uncomfortable. Declaring the gospel is uncomfortable. It requires us to face conflict. It requires us to face opposition. And it results in our lives being disrupted on a daily basis. One of my favorite images of this declaration of come to the world is from the woman at the well. You remember this story? There's a woman at the well. Jesus shows up. He's with her. He really shouldn't be with her according to cultural rules, but he is. He tells her everything about her life, and then he invites her. What does he invite her to? Come drink. He's got living waters that last forever. And she has this amazing interaction where she really doesn't even deserve to be there with him. But he tells her everything that's going on in her life. And he shows care for who she is. And when she has this interaction with Jesus, what do we know happens? She leaves. She goes back to her city and her community. And she says, come. You need to meet this Jesus. He told me everything about myself. See, that is what happens when you have had a real interaction, a real encounter with Jesus Christ. Something stirs up within your heart. You're made well again. And you want other people to experience Jesus Christ. That is natural. And that is good. And it's holy. 
We need to live in that place of being passionate about who Jesus is and draw others into it. But listen to this. I know what the reality is. The first time I met Jesus was probably 37 years ago. Wait, sorry. Probably 34 years ago. And it was awesome. I remember going to my parents and just being like, this is crazy. But over time, the, the fire maybe or the, the passion of that experience, it, it wanes to some degree. And we have responsibilities that are placed upon us. And I think sometimes the passion of that first experience with Jesus Christ, it dwindles. And I think that can, that can result in us not being as excited about telling, you know, like, like having the feeling of excitement about telling other people about who Jesus is, declaring come. I think we also get captured by other goals, like good goals that we have in our lives, tasks, aspirations that God has given us. And sometimes those other things can become more important in our lives, take up more time in our lives than the declaration of come to the world. But I, I, guys, I'm really convinced that at the center of everything that we do as a church must be this declaration of come. It is the most eternally valuable thing that we can do, right? When we say come to Jesus, it can result in people being released from the bondage of the enemy, and it can change their trajectory. Their, the eternal trajectory of their lives can be reoriented to a dynamic living relationship with their Father in heaven. They can go from being bound up in sin to being in the very throne room of Jesus Christ, worshiping him, being whole, being at peace, having every tear wiped away, being with Jesus for eternity. Beyond this, I think that if we as a church are not oriented around the declaration of come, the declaration of the gospel, everything we do, every good thing that we might pursue will come unraveled. I believe that God has created the church, and I thought of the best way to describe this. I don't know that this is the best way, but it's, it's the idea that came to my head. He created the church with a heart that pumps. That's the very center of who we are. And it gives life to everything else that we do. I think that the declaration of come is like the heartbeat of the church. And if it's not there, if, if the things that we do aren't oriented around this single thing of declaring come to the world, everything else we do will become unhealthy and eventually die. I think this is what is happening to many churches in this generation, is the declaration of the gospel is not at the center of what they do. There are other things that they pursue, and it brings death, ultimately. So I want to ask you this question. Are you, is your family, oriented primarily around sharing come to the world? Are your resources, 
is your energy. It's the way you live your life directed towards seeing other people come to Jesus Christ. If you're on the worship team, does your involvement in the worship team orient around the declaration of come to the earth? If you teach at our school, Mars Hill Academy, is that teaching oriented around ultimately seeing people come to Jesus Christ? And is the leadership of your family, the raising and the training of your family, is it oriented around this thing, declaring come to the nations? In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God's design for the church is that we would be like a city that's set up on top, the top of a hill that everyone can see from every direction. And he has set that city on fire so that it can give light to all of the earth. The point here is that God has, has not intended us to be a group of people that have a basket set over us, but he wants to lift us up so that we can say, come to Jesus to all the world. And this, this message of come, it is, the, it is the cry of a father's heart that has been going out across the earth for all of the existence of creation. This is God's heartbeat from the very beginning that people would come into relationship with him it's, it's, we see it here in Revelations, but let's zoom back into the Old Testament, all the way into Isaiah 55.1. Hear this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. And then again, Jesus, when he comes, he declares that this prophecy is fulfilled in him when he says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. God the Father, who created the heavens and the earth, who created you and me, has a desire that we would be in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And now we, as the church, have the great privilege of being ambassadors of that message in the earth. In 2 Corinthians 5.20 it says this, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God or come back to God. Out of the fast, one of the things that we felt that God was saying to us was that as a church, we were called to return to our first love. And I think this verse fills that out practically for you a little bit. I think God wants us to return to the place of being passionate about saying come to the lost. 
part of returning to our first love is returning to this simple declaration to the lost of come to Jesus. He has water for your soul that is free of charge. It's 8 o'clock. I have two encouragements in regards to our church in terms of saying come. One, the enemy, right? (laughs) There's a battle going on. There is an enemy, and he's a deceiver. And one of the things he's doing in the earth is he is distorting God's message. He's distorting the gospel. He's He's distorting the simple message of come back to your Father. Come back to your Heavenly Father through Jesus. And I think he's done a pretty good job because there is generally, I would say, a sense in probably this city and cities all across the U.S. that people who say come are religious, divisive, hateful people. There's kind of this, this, this idea in the world that people who say come to Jesus are hateful people. And I think one of the things that can happen to the church is we live in the midst of this culture and we hear that over and over. I think two things. One, I think we can get worried about sharing it because we know it's going to cause conflict. And I think two, I think even sometimes we hear it so much, we begin to believe it ourselves and think, why am I, why, you know, I don't want to say this. I don't want to bother people with this. I don't want to create conflict. Well, let me just, I just want to, is speak this to the church tonight, speak this to myself tonight, that is a lie. The message of come is one of love. The only motive of come is love and care for people that are hurting. And anything else other than that is a lie. And in fact, when we speak the gospel, when we speak the truth of come to Jesus, he loves you, yeah, so, we are going to, some people are, are going to be offended. And we will face probably persecution and conflict when we share that. But the power of that word is it can undo in the hearts of people the lies that the enemy has placed in their life because the word of God is powerful and truth is powerful. And it can break through into hearts of people that are thirsty and they hear it and they respond to it and they say, yes, I want to receive. So tonight, church, I want to tell us this. Don't be fearful. Don't believe that lie. Listen to what the Word of God says about people that share the gospel. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. If you are someone that declares come, you have beautiful feet. Number two, in order to effectively declare, come to Jesus, we can't just be a people who say, come. We can't just be a group of people that have a message, a theologically sound message of who Jesus is and what he wants. It cannot end there. It requires us, if you're going to be someone who's going to say, come, And to say it in a genuine, real, authentic way, you must be willing to lay your life down. Jesus was the perfect example of this. He just didn't didn't paint the gospel in the sky. He came down into the earth. He lived with disciples that were 
it was not fun for him to do that. And he laid his life down for them, served them, died on a cross for them, and was resurrected. This is exactly what we have to do. He told us, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What this means is that if you want to honestly, genuinely declare come to people, it means you have to open up your life to the world around you. Not just shout things out to them, but you need to open your life up and invite them in to be part of your life. Because see, this is what is really going on, right? You are telling people, hey, listen, I've tasted Jesus, and he's awesome. There's nothing like relationship with Jesus. And I'm inviting you to come into that too. Not like go to Jesus, but come to Jesus. And that means come be part of my life, and I'm going to show you what it's like to know him. And you can come partake of him with me. That takes sacrifice. And that ruins your schedule. It ruins your home. It ruins the things that you have intended for your life. But that is genuinely declaring come to the world. Amen? Those are the two thoughts. Be courageous and know that the declaration of the gospel is all about love. And then two, lay down your life. Don't just say it religiously, but invite people in. Amen? Um, I just want to close with um, a thought that I had about my family and if, <laughs> this is not me bragging. If you if <laughs> if you're not if you if you're not if you've not been in this church for a while, you don't know me that well. Um, but if you are in this church, you know that I've messed up a lot of things in my life. I'm not a I'm not a perfect person by any means, and so um, you know that you know me. But <laughs> well, I thought I thought I would at least get an amen there. Um, but I was thinking about this. Um, so there are, there, are five, uh, there are five Henderson kids, of which I am one. And uh, something very unique about us is that, so we're, you know, pastor's kids. And if you know anything about pastor's kids, uh, <laughs> things don't always go well for them. Um, there's a lot of rebellion. Uh, and a lot of pastors' kids don't ultimately end up in a good relationship with Jesus. And I don't know why that is, but it just is a thing. Uh, and, and I look at my family, and there's five of us, and again, not just me, I wasn't perfect, but none of us were perfect. We all had really messed up things that we did and issues that we've had. But all five of us are still in love with Jesus. Uh, and in the church, and in love with the church, uh, in giving our lives for the purposes of the kingdom. And so I think back about my parents, and I think back about, you know, was there anything unique? I mean, I'm building my own family right now, and I was, anything unique about the way that they did it? That I think we're definitely an outlier, an outlier family, and 
the data set of pastors' families. And when I look back on my life, the two things, I mean, we were homeschooled. <laughs> there were a lot of things that my family did. But the two things that were the loudest, I think, in my spirit that I heard from my parents was, number one, have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Or in other words, say, come Jesus. And then number two, our lives revolved around sharing the gospel with this city. And I think it's those two things, placing those two things at the center of who we were as a family, that, play, that you know, obviously prayer and, and God's protection in our lives, but those were the things that tied us to um, being men and women that loved God and stuck with him. And so I just share that to say, I think the same is true for our church, that we need to set those things at the center so that we can be healthy here and now and far into the future. Amen? Amen. All right. We're going to close with worship tonight. So if you will, stand up. And um, Jake is going to lead us in worship.